This is Women Speak Cyber, the podcast with a diversity of ideas critical to solving the complex challenges of securing businesses and people today. We believe all voices need to be heard. Whether you're an aspiring speaker, leader, or wanting to advocate for others, join Louisa P and Louisa V and their special guests who will share tools, tips, and inspirational stories that will help you to speak cybersecurity with confidence and impact. So welcome to the Women Speak Cyber podcast, episode 10. Super exciting. And we've got Tanvi Bali here with us. And we're so thrilled you could join us, Tanvi, on the Women Speak Cyber podcast. Welcome. Thank you. I'm very excited. LP and I met you because you are part of the first cohort of Project Friedman a few years back now. But for those people that don't know you, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and, you know, your journey into cybersecurity. For all the listeners, I'm Tanvi Bali, and my journey is very interesting. Whenever I tell people, I've literally changed my industries every 2.5 year. That's my max time. <laughs> <laughs> I started my career as literally no one even knows about this. I started as a systems administrator. Very interesting job. You like build servers and decommission servers. After I did that, I was like, okay, it's boring me out. Let me try something else. And then I got into software development. That was really interesting. I built, I don't know how many applications for the banks in Australia as well. Very thrilling. Learned all the programming languages, learned all the cool stuff, fraud, AML and whatnot. And then I was like, okay, my 2.5 years has come up. Now I'm bored again. (laughs) (laughs) Then I landed into a cyber job. I applied and the company was Accenture. I literally applied for a job and I got into it and I had zero cyber experience at that point in time. It was really exciting when I got the first call as well. Now, cyber was so large when I got into Accenture as well. There was like risk, there was like DevSecOps, there was like cyber operations and whatnot. And I was like, okay, uh, maybe I will not get bored here. Accenture was good in this way because in consulting, you get to go to different customers and do different projects and you learn holistic cyber as well. I did like security architecture to security operations to everything. That was exciting. I've not chosen a domain per se for myself, even after I left Accenture. The only domain that I loved was DevSecOps. I have a clear passion about it, like, you know. (laughs) Because I was developing some time back as well. So I I really wanted to be in the same field where I can develop, do something for the developers, add security into it. So I literally kept on amalgamating all my experiences on the top as soon as I went through the years as well in my career. That has literally worked very nicely for me as well. DevSecOps is a space I find like it's it's my zing. I, I extremely love it. And it has been how many years? Five years now, I've not left the domain. Yes, I've shifted companies, but I've not left the domain per se. And I hope to keep DevSecOps as my main domain as well, even for the longer term. It is very exciting. No one seems to do it properly as well. So it's <laughs> it's even more exciting, a good problem to resolve. So yeah, that has been my overall journey of shifting Places, shifting careers, getting bored too easily, and <laughs> finally landing into a domain that I'm not getting bored of. So it's it's good mental stimulation for me, I guess. 
Oh, that's good. Gosh, I need to take a leaf out of your book. I tend to hold on to things for longer than I should. So I'm going to channel you. So uh, Tanvi, what is it you love about DevSecOps? Could you summarize that for us? The best part I really like is the problem solving in it, right? No one has really been able to do it properly as well. Getting security at speed is an art because security people are really tough to work with. Like I've literally worked on both spectrums of the places and cyber people are not easy. Like they're grumpy. They can get irritated easily because they're dealing with a lot of stuff themselves as well. Now, how to get cyber people to work with the dev community and the Mm. dev community to work with cyber who literally do not like them, can't see eye to eye. That by itself is the most thrilling part. I love the people part of the DevSecOps more than the process and the tech, really. Because it's not easier when I was back in NAB as well, it is just not easy to bring a plethora of thousands of people to be working with literally 50, 100 security people who they do not want to work with. So I think that is one area. I don't know if I should be a project manager. I don't know. (laughs) You've got 2.5 years and then you can try that. (laughs) (laughs) I actually started doing a project management course recently. Of course you have. Nice. Of course you have. It's, it's exciting. It's keeping me going. And like I said, security at spade is not easy to get through as well, because we have some bureaucratic processes and things like that as well. And almost every organization has it anyways. So getting through that, getting through the people, cultural issues, and then getting the tech, it's not an easy space to be in. And anyways, none of the spaces in cyber are easy anyways. But this is exciting because it's just helping me join both my experiences as well from the development to the cyber. So it's keeping me going, getting me mental stimulation. All people in the world are different. <laughs> so it's it's exciting. <laughs> that's so good to hear. And that's taking me back to your talk that you did um, at the CyberCon at the end of the Project Friedman course. So we'd love to talk a little bit more about that. Maybe you can take us back. Let's go right back. Tell us about your first public speaking experience and, you know, how that went for you. Bad. So I remember I first had a speaking engagement. It was a forum. Not many people, 20, 30 people. At that point in time, it was like I just stood there and I thought there are thousands of people in front of me because I was so petrified of them. But that was the first time where I was in front of 20, 30 people and I was about to talk talk about a topic. I was fine with the topic. It wasn't the problem with the topic per se, but it was, wasn't DevSecOps at that point in time. I think I can speak DevSecOps even when I'm asleep. I literally froze. So it was a very bad experience for me because I literally froze. I had cold feet, cold hands, and I couldn't talk. And then when I spoke as well, it was in broken parts. I had literally forgotten what I was going to say. It was petrifying. It made me anxious. It made me nervous. I don't know if many people have had such an extreme thing as well, but It was just something different that I can never, ever forget. And after that, I put a stop to my speaking as well. Like I was talking in presentations and companies, one max two people. But I did know that I'm still not there. Even in presentations, I was like, okay, this is my work. I've literally created this pace. Why am I so petrified to talk about it? Like I literally had the same feelings that I had 
back on that day on the stage being completely nervous and I couldn't take it out from myself. It was a very horrendous experience that I would call it. I don't know how I got there. I don't know what emotions do to you when you're really scared in front of people. That's what happened. So that was my first experience. You kind of had all the responses that people talk about. You had the physical response as well, which is really hard to to hide and to kind of fight through when you have that physical response. LV talks about her physical responses that she's had in the past too. Yeah. And you get that muscle memory. So like it happens once, but then it can keep repeating itself, which I think was what you were just describing there is that when you went to do it again, you got that similar experience. Yeah. So after that, how long was it until Project Friedman, the advert for it came along and you thought, I'm going to apply for that. Like what triggered that? So I think it was after one year, nine months or something like that. At the company that I was at, at that point in time, I did say, okay, my presentation skill sets are horrendous and I'm literally petrified to talk and I'm literally in consulting. So I shouldn't be petrified to talk. My job is to deal with clients. So I was asking for help, but I wasn't getting any. So everyone thought that is something that you would just know. You should just stand in front of the mirror and practice. No one thought that it is a learnable or teachable skill set as well. I actually remember when the advertisement came in, I was like, okay, I need something. I need some training into it because I know I have a problem. I cannot continue to be petrified of people, petrified of talking specifically in the skills that I am very proud of. That's how I applied because I really, really needed help at that point in time. And I'm really glad I got that help as well. But from an organization perspective, there are not many avenues or places that actually teach you these softer skills. You may be in consulting, you may not be in consulting. You you do need these skill sets in any place you are, right? So That's how I applied. I just saw it and I thought, okay, opportunity has come in. Just let's just grab it and pray to God that I get in. And I remember when I was selected, I was literally really happy about it. Yes, I'm going to get some help. Someone is going to invest their time in me in getting this fear out of me as well. Because I don't know if you know, but negative thoughts are, are spiral. So the more you go into a negative thought, they take you deeper and deeper into the well. And that was where I was at that point. Mm. So yeah, that's my story. (laughs) Nine months I suffered. Finally, the application came out and I applied. Well, we're so glad you did. I know. What do you think the biggest tip that Emily gave you? What was the best tip that she gave you that helped you maybe more from that physical reaction side? So I think one of the best tips, not the physical, but the best tips that I really feel that Emily gave was positivity. Mm. So she actually said, before you're going for a talk, just say to yourself, have that positive affirmation to yourself that yes, you're going to do great. I remember even before the CyberCon talk, I was literally saying to myself, Mm -hmm. I, I did have those physical things still. My hands were sweaty. I went into the washroom as well to just calm myself down, take the anxiety out because I had literally worse experiences in the past. But that positive affirmation that you spoke about, okay, just think it is going to go good because you just spread everything in the world, in the universe anyways. That has worked very positively for me. 
Because now I'm not thinking that at the end, people are just going to say how stupid Tanvi is, or she doesn't know what she's talking about, or she froze and everyone is leaving the room, all the fears that a speaker would have. I was just thinking that, yes, I've done a good job and it'll go well because I've got this, right? I think that was the best tip. I use it every time. Call it the Emily's mantra. Mm. (laughs) It just worked beautifully for me. Well, thinking back to your CyberCon talk, you you definitely had it. We were in the room for your talk and I'm so glad we were there. We could experience that because you had the audience captivated with your talk. We were standing in the back. We looked around the room. Everybody was listening. Mm. No one was like kind of looking at their phones or anything like that. It just They were just captivated by your talk. Tell us about how that felt being on the other side, you know, on that stage. You mentioned, you know, you did still feel nervous before. You went and did that positive affirmation. You opened up your talk. How did it feel to do that talk? Very good. Originally, when I started the talk, I still remember I had sweaty hands. But once I started, because we had practiced a lot as well, there was no point I could have forgotten the talk, right? And another thing that Emily also said was that no one actually knows what you're going to talk about. So even if you forget, you don't need to just stop in the middle and start thinking about it because they don't know, right? (laughs) That was a very good thing, right? Because I've written the script, only I know about it. Even if I change it in the middle, no one actually knows that. So I literally thought, okay, I've practiced enough. I've put in every single thing that I could have put into this. So when I stood on the stage, I was really nervous. But then for a second, I forgot. I forgot that there are many people standing in front of me. I don't know how that confidence came into me. I do not know. Maybe it was a positive affirmations that I had before. But I wasn't scared of the people. And I remember it was not 50, but it was like 200, 300 people in that room. I was completely fine. I just said, if I forget, that's fine. If I forget something, no one is going to know. It, it's, the story is still flowing. You know your content. Just have that confidence in you. Just get on with it. And I was like, I just took God's name and I was like, okay, let's get on with it. You certainly came across as calm. I remember all of you were kind of the same. I know you're all probably feeling something inside, but you all came across so well and so calm. And like you said, you knew your stuff. And I'm pretty sure the majority of you had queues of people lining up to ask questions after your presentations as well, which I always think is amazing, which we've we've got some girls presenting in the current round at the moment. And yeah, they've all got queues of people coming, asking questions after. And I always think that's such an incredible sign of the topic and what you've covered that people want to come and know more. We were, we were like proud mums going, look at all the questions. It's amazing. <laughs> I know. You were just like standing there. Oh, the girls are doing amazing. I was confident. I think it was practicing as well, literally. And now I feel that every single time I'd done the talk before, I was not practicing this much. And I think the more you practice, the lesser fear you have as well. That also worked massively for me. But I don't know how I hid it on my face, but I was like a tsunami inside. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how it happened. And so post-Project Friedman, have you continued to present? Yes. I literally am doing talks every two, three months. Wow. Ever since then, I've done, one of my talks was RSA and... The pinnacle. 
for a cyber person. Amazing. That was exciting. And the talk is also very different. Like you have your own manager and they help you throughout the things as well. It was virtual. So it was a different format for the talk as well. But you still know that there are thousands of people coming to your talk at that point in time. They're live people and then you have recordings as well. Very exciting. But I was not at all nervous at that point in time. There was no business. That's so good. I, I don't know. It has just gone. Like I, I, I wouldn't call it a lot of overconfidence as well. I, I wouldn't call it that. But I would call it confidence to the level that I'm comfortable in myself and the content that I present. And I'm not trying to prove something or try to be someone as well. And that, that works really well for me, I guess. I've done a number of talks, um, smaller ones, bigger ones, but I've, I've been, whenever I get an opportunity to talk, I literally take it. I feel the moment I leave it, I would go into that anxious loop again. Mm. Never left it after that. Thanks to you guys. <laughs> That's actually a really good point you make there. It is a skill. You know, they often say if you don't use it, you lose it. But I, I do think it's just like many other skills we have in our professional lives. You need to keep doing it to maintain the confidence and competency and all those things. So it's so good to hear that you've kept talking. Like for LP and I, that's the dream. If somebody goes through Project Freeman and keeps talking, then we've achieved what we set out to, which was to add more women to the public speaking pool so that you know, that we were hearing from more women, which is so fabulous. So I want to go back to the RSA tour because you mentioned it was virtual. And I remember that was right kind of during the peak of the pandemic. So it wasn't a physical event. Am I correct in saying there wasn't an option to do that in person? How did you find the virtual compared with the physical? Because yeah, I'd be keen to hear your comparison of the two. So I personally like physical more mm. as compared to virtual. Because you get command over your audience, right? Through the way you talk in the room, the way you walk, the way you present. And you can literally see, is the audience literally engaging with you? And change the talk accordingly in the middle as well. Now, when you're virtual, you can't see many people because they're always on the side just typing. And if there are no questions, you wonder to yourself, is everyone understanding what I'm trying to say? What is the audience feeling about it? Are they happy? Are they sad? Is this completely irrelevant? You start asking yourself. Yeah, you miss that feedback. Yeah. I literally felt that when I was standing in that room at CyberCon, that was a confidence that you get. You're standing in front of people and you just ooze out that you're not nervous and you, it's, it's just a different vibe altogether as compared to virtual. And I know many conferences have now gone virtual and I've done mostly virtual after it, but have I enjoyed it as much as I did CyberCon? Maybe not. <laughs> well, I think we're coming back into the world of in-person events with a vengeance now, which is kind of fabulous. It's it's a little weird, I have to say. I've been to a couple already this year and I found it really almost slightly overwhelming just by the sheer volume of people. But it's been so nice to see this round of Project Friedman participants on stages in rooms with real people and getting that feedback, getting questions. And then when sort of everyone leaves the room, they're sort of doing their little high fives and jumping up and down. So it's it's actually been kind of beautiful to get back into that. Tanvi, we'll be looking for you on a stage in the near future. <laughs> <laughs> Any talks lined up, Tanvi? 
There is one, but that's also virtual. Let's say what the future holds, don't know. Doing that talk physically, do you think that helped set you up in a way for feeling confident because you did that first talk in person? Because some people, I guess, have maybe done their first talk virtual. I wondered whether you you feel like doing that physical talk helped you. If you'd have done it virtually, do you think it would have gone differently for you? 100%. Because my first talk that I did before the Project Fridgeman talk was in person. And I froze in front of people when I was standing there in person. The only way to break that negative loop was literally to be there and be in the same situation and fight it, right? In virtual, you still know, like you're sitting, your hands are not visible, your legs are not visible, your body language is not visible. You might lose. Like for me personally, I wouldn't have got the confidence and I wouldn't have gotten rid of that negative spiral of low if it was virtual. Because you're still hidden away. You have a camera. You're still not completely in front of the audience. But I do know that many people don't mind virtual ones as well, provided it is the first. They're just looking for the first experience to talk in front of people. And you know, you can still see the attendees and you can say, okay, I have 200, 300 attendees. That is just exhilarating by itself, right? That would be really good for people. For me personally, I was fighting something entirely different. Mm. Virtual was no way help. Yeah. So it's like you needed to reset that muscle memory to have a positive physical presenting experience to be able to then continue on that path. Absolutely. When you do present physically, more of you is on display, mm. let's face it. And if you're someone who kind of, you know, taps your toes or, or grabs your hands or, you know, any of those other habits that, especially during the pandemic, could have crept back in for some people with presenting. It's it's actually really good to get out there and physically present and feel that again. Make sure you check those habits. I'm just doing it right now. I'm like putting my hands behind my back. (laughs) (laughs) That is literally just nervousness as well. It may not be nervousness as well, but it's a body movement, which you can't do on stage. Even when we are talking, half part of myself is just hidden away. I can do anything with my hands. After you did the RSA talk, how did you feel? Because that, that's an amazing achievement to talk at RSA. Were you excited? I was very, very excited, but I was in a self-doubt at that point in time. Very much self-doubt that have I done good enough? I remember at my RSA talk, I gave one shot. I did not record it again and again as well. And After that, when it was finalized and ready to be processed and sent, I was like, okay, have I done good enough or should I have grabbed the opportunity to record bits again? That was a self-doubt that I was in. But when I heard the talk, I thought that some things could be improved as well. And maybe I would want to go for that re-recording sessions if I have virtual talks ever. But the entire feeling that the entire world is now going to listen to you. And it's just really exciting. I had a number of people contacting me on LinkedIn and they were all across the world. Many were from US as well. So it was just breaking the boundaries of your own country and your own city that you're in giving presentations. Now you're standing in front of the world. So that was a turning point. And I was like, okay, Tanvi, where were you before? Just two years back, silent and shy and not ready to talk in front of people and literally petrified is the right word to use for me. 
Then I was at RSA and I just gave my talk in one shot. I was very happy and proud that I got there. I had massive self-doubt, but that's fine. I think talks can always be improved. The more you do it, the better you get. But that fear, anxiety was all gone. I was very proud of myself and I celebrated it. My, I remember my husband and I, we had the champagne. At night. I'm excited. I'm happy. So it was a very good feeling. <laughs> oh, that's so good to hear. I think it takes courage to even apply to submit a paper for something like RSA. So to be able to submit and get there and do it is just, you know, incredible. I never even thought they would say yes. And when they said yes, I was like, are you serious? Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) So take us from that moment, right? There's probably some people out there who are thinking to themselves, you know, I might apply, but they'll never pick me. And and I think when we had our chat with Jackie Lestow, she told us about her first conference, you know, she applied and she's like, oh, I won't get accepted. And they were like, oh yes. (laughs) What did you do next? After you found out, you got in, okay, I've got to do this RSA talk. What next? So first I became like a broadcasting channel telling everyone I got, <laughs> I got selected, right? I literally told everyone in my workplace, I've been selected. Did you know that? So that was a very thrilling thing by itself. <laughs> but for the preparation of the talk, I again got help from Emily again. It was required as well because of the structure of the slides that I wanted to have, the structure of the talk, I think it's always good to get guidance again and again. So one thing that I I saw was first, it was, I think, one, one and a half year gap between Project Fridman and then the RSA talk as well. And you do whatever has been taught to you, but you do tend to forget some bits and pieces out of whatever you're taught. And then eventually you you just start muddling your own stuff into your talks and then go with the flow. But for RSA, I wanted some professional help again. So we literally did a number of sessions together. And that was what kept me cool and calm as well. And yes, the help that I wanted. It's the same thing as CyberCon. I can do this, right? Without that help, I don't think I would have been able to do it all by myself also. Because this is a skill set you always need to and should be brushing on after a little bit of time because just learning it once and for all is just not enough. So that's what I did. A number of sessions with Emily, we prepared the slides together. She reviewed stuff for me as well. My entire talk, my script and the same thing, the opening and the closing and the middle, it was all brushed up again. And that got me my confidence back as well. And I got validation force as well, because Emily could have told me, okay, that, okay, this is the place where you need to tweak your talk and you can't do that at workplace as well. So I think I got that help. It was stupendous. Amazing. I know quite a few people who do go back to Emily actually, before they do a big presentation, just to get that tweak. And I actually think that's a great thing because sometimes you, you get a little bit stuck in your own head and you think you're kind of being clear about something, but it just takes a third party to say, no, let's tweak that and do it better. So yeah, she's continuing to help a lot of our participants. Absolutely. I remember my slides were horrendous at that point in time. And she was like, okay, let's create the story me again. So we went back to the basics of storytelling all over again. But that was good because I was creating mess there in my slides. Thanks to Emily. She got me and saved me there. 
It's another really important point you raise because we seek professional help in other areas of our, you know, personal and professional lives. Public speaking seems to be one of those areas where a lot of people, to your point earlier, Tavi, the kind of, you know, maybe muddled along and it's just not necessarily something we all have the opportunity to, I guess, formally study and be coached in. But then when you do and you realize that, yeah, it's, it's absolutely a skill where you should get professional help. And then you continue to revisit that professional help along the way. You know, you need your coach. You need to have somebody experienced and skilled in that area to help you prepare. So it's a, it's a fabulous thing to do. Yeah. We're just really glad that Emily is around for so many of us and she's, she's absolutely amazing at what she does. Yeah, absolutely. I think she's saved my life almost twice. So I'm really thankful to her. I really don't know why this is not a trainable skill set in companies. I really do not know that. There should be some very strong reason for it. But I think everyone should be taught. Add it in your leadership trainings, add it in your consulting trainings, add it in every place. Because I've, I've literally seen a number of leaders also talking just point to point. Yes, no answers. But you do need storytelling in your everyday life. You do need that. How do you converse with people as well? This is one place where people are not putting a lot of effort in as well. I have no clue why. You would know it better than me. I've suffered from it um, myself. I don't know how our company is thriving to resolve this and get their people with some skill sets, right? Mm. Mm. I would actually argue that it's something that we need to have people doing from school. At my school, people would take turns to go up an assembly and, and read something and it was always such a big thing. But I think it was actually a wonderful thing to be doing because you get used to that slight fear of standing up in front of a large crowd and presenting. And I think the more you do it, the better you're going to be and the more confidence that you have. So I know a few friends who've got kids in sort of that teenage group and they're starting to do the same thing. But I I just think it's something that we should be doing from an early age. I can think back to uni and having to do sort of shoots where you'd have to stand up and prepare, but not enough to to give me that confidence that I really needed even when you go into a job interview, you know, if you've got that confidence that you've built up over time, when you go to that first job interview, I think you you become a little bit more articulate, hopefully. And it's maybe not so nerve wracking. The earlier we can start with people, the better. So, yeah. I love that. What was, so I, I did my schooling back in India. What was I doing there? Just studying. Yeah. <laughs> in the middle of a thousand books and literally just studying every subject that I possibly on this mother earth could, but no focus on these softer skills that are required for your longer life. There's so many people out there with so much knowledge and so, so many fantastic ideas. I was worried we don't hear if, you know, maybe they haven't had that opportunity to be skilled and, and confident in public speaking. We hope we can all help uncover many, many more stories from people in the future because, yeah, it's a very, very important skill. Really does open up a career trajectory as well to have this skill. Is there anything you wish you could say? <laughs> Let's go back 10 years to Tanvi 10 years ago about where you are now. Anything I would say to myself, I think I'll just say I've got this. <laughs> I love it. I've, 
There is no point being fearful. There is no point being anxious, nervous, full of self-doubt, completely not putting yourself out there. There is no point in that. Just think positively and you will get through this. Fight your fear is what I would say. I'm really, really happy that I did that. Because like you said, open up opportunities for yourself. It did that. No one can actually imagine. It's it's just not your technical skill sets that you would have that open up the future opportunities for you. But the way you converse, the way you tell your stories, the way you conduct yourself and the way you have your confidence, right? That also takes you from one place to another. And over these years, I felt that entire reversed hand V that was there standing in front of people, not being able to talk, not being able to say a single word and completely frozen has now changed to talking a bit too much. But the only thing, if I have three words, four words, I've, I've got this. I'll, I'll get through it no matter what happens is what I would say to myself for anything that comes in front of me now. So I'm mm. positive. <laughs> I love that. You're just joyful to talk to. You're amazing. <laughs> Literally, thank you for thinking about Project Fridman. Think about ladies like me who are either too petrified to come out or just say, we are not going to put ourselves there. Um, don't care about it. But you need to, right? So you've done something really, really amazing. And how many times I've told you, and I'll continue to say that, but like you guys have literally put that confidence in me. So really, thank you for that. And I think the support network that we had, like all of us women together supporting yeah. each other, I don't think people recognize the power of that. Yeah. That was one thing because I remember we were all like um, pushing each other. You're you're amazing. I'm waiting for your talk, going and attending each other's talks as well. Mm. That network that we had and we still do, right? And all you still us. do it. That's what's amazing. Mm. Yeah. It was the part of the project that we hadn't thought about that was ended up being kind of the best part. You all became each other's cheer squads and your little community and network. And to this day, we still have our chat. That's been such a wonderful part of the whole program. And I think that first cohort showed us that it was possible. So that's why we've been able to go on and do, you know, another 20 women this round because you showed us what was possible with the right structure and, and training. So, yeah. That's amazing. So <clears throat> another woman cohort with 20 old girlfriends together. So that's super amazing. Yeah. Yeah. They've been really good <laughs> for each other, actually. I'm really sad that... But- this podcast chat has to come to an end. It's been so good catching up with you. If people want to follow you, is there a way they can do that? LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is a place where I'm most active and connect with other people as well. I would love to connect to people. Well, I'm sure your story has inspired many people. So thank you again for sharing it, Tanvi. Thank you for your courage to step up there. And yeah, we'll never forget that talk. It it really did have such a big impact. And so glad you're continuing to speak. Thank you for inviting. Thank you so much. It was very nice seeing you both. This podcast has been made possible thanks to sponsorship from the Australian Signals Directorate. For updates on Women Speak Cyber and our initiatives to help elevate, grow and retain women speakers in cybersecurity, follow us on Twitter at Women Speak Cyber or find us on LinkedIn.